This is episode number 136 of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this episode, we have Daniel Nicolaisen. Daniel is the hitting coach um, for the softball team at Seton Hall University. Um, he's from Denmark originally and talks a little bit about his background and how he actually got over um, to America and, and got into softball. And it's a pretty cool story. Um, one of the cool things that I enjoyed uh, listening to him in this episode was some of the uh, differences that he's taking from what he learned last year to this year. So there's a you know a couple different things he, he likes that he's going to talk about and it's it makes a ton of sense and I think a lot of times with this technology and movement assessments and everything else people get overwhelmed of like when do we you know apply this into practice and so it doesn't take away from the flow of practice and Daniel gives some um, ideas and some things that they're doing which makes a ton of sense um, I also wanted to remind you guys uh, of my high school coaches course that's coming out um, probably next week and what this course is specifically designed is designed for all the high school coaches. So um, you can, we'll be able to understand all the new techniques. And what I did is I, you know, made it a video based. And so you'll be able to do a movement assessment on your players along with exercises to help correct those deficiencies. And I actually go over blast motion and detail in a simplistic and easy to understand manner. So be on the lookout um, for the high school coaches course. Um, what you should do is just go over to my website, www.patrickjonesbaseball.com, and just subscribe to my email list, and you'll be notified um, immediately when it is released. So, ladies and gentlemen, now we welcome on Daniel Nicolaisen. All right, we are now live with Daniel Nicolaisen. Daniel, thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thanks for so, coming. Um, again, man, you're we were uh, we've been talking. You, you got an hour commute each day to uh, Seton Hall University. Um, does that drive ever get old? Of course, it gets old, especially um, you know when you hit traffic and whatnot. But um, I wouldn't I wouldn't really trade it for anything because the amount of audiobooks and podcasts and whatnot that I've been somewhat forced to listen to and read on the road has been definitely instrumental in sort of my my progress I think, as, a, as a coach and individual so, so how yeah, did you how did you get to uh this point um right now like take me through like your your kind of background in in hitting and softball and I'm always kind of interested to hear like how someone you know went to softball instead of baseball so I'm originally from from Denmark over in Scandinavia. Um, I grew up playing fast pitch softball, the men's side. Um, so from I was like 12, 13, I was, I was basically playing with like grown men. Uh, I was joking around that it took me like three years to get a hit in men's first division back home because um, guys still throw like low 80s uh, from 46 feet. Um, and I was just hitting ninth, playing right field for a while there. Um, so that was, you know, sort of my my uh, upbringing in in fast pitch softball, and I eventually ended up switching clubs back home and started playing with some some guys that are a little bit more my age, and ended up just kind of, you know, get done school and go down to the field and hang out for like eight nine hours until basically had the it was too dark to to be outside. Um, so what ended up happening was um, 
our our club would bring in a female uh, uh, pitching uh, coach slash player that would play for the women's team and then uh, help uh, instruct all of the the younger pitchers and coach some of the younger teams in the club as well. And I just happened that um, and that is that was Wendy, which who is now my my wife, and she is from South Jersey. So uh, when I started wanting to make the transition into baseball, it was like a natural thing to uh, move over here. So I went to a JUCO and then transferred to just a small Division three uh, uh, school, played baseball, and it was a horrendous transition. And I did not fare nearly as well as um, my expectations. But uh, again, it just was a natural progression in the coaching. So when she when um, when she came over here, she started getting involved in travel ball and. She did pitching lessons and all that kind of stuff, and then naturally, you know, pitchers would be like, "Hey, do you have anyone? Do you know anyone that can that can teach hitting?" And then I started doing lessons, and kind of the ball got rolling. Started with some travel teams, small organization, and moved uh, to a, a little bit larger, a couple years, a little bit larger organization a couple of years later, um, and then that ended up with uh, Wendy and I moving over to Mass Performance Institute, which is run by Steve Johnson, who. Is Lickig Nation on Twitter and Instagram is pretty um, iconic personality. It's definitely influenced me a lot in sort of the way I review coaching and teaching and whatnot. Um, and then uh, once I graduated from college, graduated in the winter, so I had about three, four months where I was just doing travel ball and uh, the membership stuff at, at Compete. So I decided, I was like, all right, well, I think, I think in, in order to make this a little bit more of a, um, a path that's just, just sustainable, I needed to get into college games. So I emailed every single Division One softball school in New Jersey that is within relative driving distance of where we were living. And uh, Paige Smith at Seton Hall, I think she answered within like 30 seconds. And the following day, I was up observing a hitting camp and um, was able to get the volunteer role. Um, it's about just three years ago now um, with Seton Hall and then, you know, just work with the outfielders and kind of got a feel for the team and uh, the, what it's like to, to uh, be part of a division one softball program. And um, I was lucky enough to, uh, she elevated me to the hitting coach the following year and um, just kind of, again, through long conversations and, um, you know, some sort of in-depth talk with, with Paige. She just was like, all right, just, you know, just roll with it. And she just gave me free range to do whatever the heck I wanted. So, um, obviously, that comes with a little bit of a pressure as well. But um, I'd like to say I worked pretty hard. So, um, it was it was fun. So, she, I mean, credit to all to her um, for just letting me or trusting me enough to just, you know, do whatever the heck I, I, I saw fit. Um, so first year was definitely you know, a little bit of like trial and error. And like, I went into it very ambitious and, uh, you know, like screen and movement screen and fall, and, you know, I started integrating blast. And the, the first thing we sort of had to do was like figure out, all right, well, like what's good and what's bad. And like, how do we separate, um, people and how do we evaluate and then from there um that took honestly a solid year to really get in some in-depth understanding of of just that that sensor and 
you know, all the stuff that it spits out and also being able to present it and view it in a, in, through multiple lenses. Um, and then this year, um, through the, throughout the summer, it was okay. I, I, I had sort of like objectively just trying to like look at, okay, like how am I, how am I running the hitting side of things? How am I running hitting side of things? And just being very critical. So this, this past summer, I wanted to uh, really sort of redo the process and feel pretty good about what I'm, what we're doing right now. And I think the girls are enjoying it and they're having fun. And I uh, think, um, you know, within the next month or so, they're going to start to really get a feel for the structure. And then within that structure, they're going to be able to, you know, really start to get creative with um, how we program them and how they, you know, make adjustments to their own programs, et cetera. And, um, that's the that's the quick rundown of uh, um, day one to today. So no, that's good, man. I I liked uh, that's a good story, interesting story. I always like hearing uh, people who have you know a diff- little bit different kind of backgrounds, uh, especially coming over here to the U.S. So you said last year you you went full on, you know, movement screens, blast motion. Like what what are you gonna do this year to make it even better? or simpler so, or whatever. So the I think the problem that um, that we run into with uh, integrating technology or something like a screens or whatever is that it, it has to be tangible for the player. So like, it's cool not to like go in a lab or do a screen or whatever, but it's it's more so I think of what, what we do about it, right? So one thing that I did not want to do is like do a screen and then not reassess. Um, and I also didn't want to have to really um, take away from just like our normal flow of practice. So like shut it down for 30 minutes on a hitting day just to do another screen when I was like, we could be getting reps in. So I wanted to sort of integrate it into practice. So basically we did our first day. It was just like eval. It was like, all right, let's just kind of see where, where we're at. So we ran everybody three in a share again. Um, but rather than then running them through it again, like a couple months down the road, we just integrated into like the very beginning of practice. So um, the one thing that was like really prevalent in our team was like, all right, the pelvic tilt test, pretty much everybody but two players uh, failed it. Whether it was like jolting or instability or just not having uh, neurological access to that, uh, that move, um, it was like a team-wide issue. So uh, in, their, in their programs, um, the first – you know, the first couple exercises that they do just to warm up and it's like a 30 to 30 seconds to like a minute of their time, especially once they get used to the flow, they work on that. And then every two weeks, we I work in like two week cycles with them. Um, every two weeks, they'll test for just the pelvic tilt test. So like, okay, so then if we pass it, then we'll move on. Just, okay, let's go look at their back, look at their screen, see if there's any other sort of like major issues and then we'll attack that next. And then... Mm-hmm. Every two weeks, we'll, we'll test for just that test. I like that. So every two weeks, you just do one test. And, and again, so that's like a to a minute. It doesn't interrupt the flow of practice. It doesn't really uh, mean anything. But they get excited when they pass it, right? And obviously, they're like, we, we talk about like, okay, well, like this sort of limitation has an influence on your swing in this way or whatever. And this is why it's important to be able to, uh, you know, tilt our pelvis and be able to extend our hips and all that kind of stuff so um that's that's how we like integrate the movement screen itself and then blast is a whole nother 
deep realm of, you know, data and analysis. But um, yeah, so that's that was sort of the adjustment we made with the movement screens. And so far, it's been good. We just we just wrapped up our our first uh, two week cycle um, a couple days ago, and you know, we we yesterday they all went through the public tilt test. And we had three three people pass it, and other people didn't, and then. So then um, the ones that didn't pass it, we just adjust the, the exercise a little bit because it probably just didn't really fit uh, fit with them. It didn't really work on, on the skill uh, accurately enough. Um, so just try to attack it in a little bit different way. Um, it seems to be that the people that just could not move uh, their pelvis back and forth, arch and round their back, they, um, uh, they seem to pass. But the people that had stability... Uh, issues like like the shaking of uh, the lower back and the, and the hips. Um, they were uh, they were the ones who didn't pass. So then okay, so now I'm just trying to sort of like address that um, within the first like minute two minutes of of practice with those those girls. So yeah, man, that's I I tell you what I'm gonna steal that. That's a really unique and just smart way of of doing it because I think a lot of times what ends up happening is you know, coaches get overwhelmed by doing, having to do all these tests, you know, when are we going to do it? You know, how are we going to find the time? And I, I love that. I love your idea of just, let's just do one, you know, I mean, it's not going to disrupt practice at all. And I think that's, that's going to be a big help for coaches to, to be able to fit doing stuff like that into practice. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like, it's all about flow. Everything has to flow together. Um, Everything has to, you know, has to have some sort of structure, and we want to make sure we spend our time uh, in the right way because we only have so much of it. And um, I don't want to spend an entire day on a screen every month. I I want to practice. <laughs> I want to make sure that we get better, you know. So, um, and I don't think again, if you look at it from the the players' perspective, I don't think they want to go and do like four or five days of movement screens um every year you know so it was like the only way to do it is to just do a little bit of micro dosing do it small and in small increments a little bit every day a little bit every day and you know we'll see how it goes you know it could you know it could be terrible but you know, I'm a, <laughs> i like i like it so we'll see what we'll see what happens what, what have you changed or what did you see last year that you might change this year from just a pure hitting standpoint like a philosophy or just anything like that um, so like philosophy wise, I, I try to keep things like fairly simple, like just like really focus on the task. So, um, and I think the main, the main thing is like, we, we can't get away from is like, we're, we're chasing results, like, but we're chasing results in, in like game like setting. So, uh, and like, just cause like we increase our front home rounds or whatever and doesn't necessarily mean that we make improvements. So, like the only really is like mechanical things that I talk about team wise, team wise, and like you, you know, you know that I somewhat preach is just all right. We got to get like we get the barrel behind the ball prior to contact, and then ideally we want the bat and ball to sort of follow each other post contact, so we get full compression of the ball and bat. Right? So it's a full on collision. Um, and we have to have some. We have to have stability, and we have to be able to. Uh, we have to be able to not have this like predeceived notion of okay, I'm gonna swing like this, and I'm just waiting for the ball. Like our our swing 
is dependent on the pitcher. So if if we like, you think like a robotic swing, it's like okay, it's already predetermined how I'm gonna move. It's just don't. So basically, my success is depending on the ball getting to where I want it, rather than so the the ball coming and then me reading and reacting what's happening. So, and that's obviously adjustability. Um, so I think the stability and adjustability piece um, goes goes neatly together. Um, so basically, I mean, I mean that just involves moving balls. Like balls gotta move. You gotta work at different angles, change of speed, um, but it also has to happen in sort of an authentic way. Um, and you know, so that's that's somewhat of what I've talked about, but again, like if we can consist on a consistent basis in a game-like environment against different types of stimulus, if we can consistently get the barrel behind the ball prior to contact, then we're in a good spot. And obviously that goes deeper, but it's more so uh, on an in- individual basis. Um, talk a lot about obviously like using the ground. Um, forget who, I think it was Justin Stone. It was like one thing that really clicked with me. I was like, all right, when you only have two, really two external contact points, like you have your bat holding, your hands holding the bat and you have your feet on the ground, everything, like everything in between has no contact to anything external. So if, if we're, if we're wanting to um, help the athlete focus a little bit more externally on just results um, rather than internally, then the ground and the bat is, and the ball ultimately, um, is gonna should be our main focus points, right? So, talk a lot about, a lot about like the back foot and how the back foot interacts with the ground, making sure like we obviously act, activate our posterior chain and we can kind of like swing the bat or like pull the bat through the zone instead of like push the bat through the zone. Um, but I think again, that starts in the very beginning through the loading phase. Um, but so that's just some of the swing stuff. But again, it's like very, very individualized um, in terms of my communications to the to the hitters. A um, lot of the like I, a lot of stuff that we do with one hitter, I wouldn't talk about with another hitter. Some some girls we talk a lot about hitting. Other girls we just I just kind of like let them be, and then they get little reminders like every other day or so. Like if that. Um, but um, it, I think it's we talk a lot about like evaluations. Like you do this like evaluation protocol and all that kind of stuff. But I think evaluating is happening every day. Um, so the way I've set up our programming this year is like okay, I'm, I would like to work in two week cycles. So there's cycles. So there's some consistency, but there's also some variability because um, we work basically we work like we have a gray day and a blue day it's like day one is great on a gray side of the program they flip it over and day two is the blue side so like the gray day is uh, a little bit more about path a little bit more constrained in terms of the drills that we work and then the blue day is a little bit more about uh, adding extra moves uh, being a lot less constrained constrained um, than um, the gray side so asking them to really hone in on their bat path on Monday and then really hone in on like the stability and the loading and the uh, adjustability piece on another day. So there's variability in terms of just the drills we do. And then there's variability in like the bats we do. And then there's like a competition element sort of at the end of every practice, um, which I can talk more about, but um, that again, like introduces it's a little bit more variability. So, so I think it's, Right now, it seems to be we have a good mix of, you know, working on our swing and like 
being deliberate about our actions, but also um, giving them time to let it rip, giving them time to uh, just get into like that like flow state of being locked in and sort of forgetting time and space, um, and then competing um, on a day-to-day basis. Um, I don't know if that somewhat answers your question. No, that definitely does. That was uh, that was really really in depth. That was awesome. What do you what do you teach um, or tell your players in terms of like approach, or is that again more individualized? Yeah, so that so that's individualized. Like basically, it comes down to uh, understanding what we hit well and what we don't hit well, um, and then getting a feel for the pitcher. So uh, especially in conference, I'll do a. Like, I'll watch a lot of the video and I'll chart the video. Um, out of conferences, like, because I want, again, like, I want to have, uh, I want to make sure that the girls are able to uh, adjust in the, in the mid game. So I don't necessarily always want them to have this, like, predetermined approach. I also want them to have a good, like, just intuitive sense of what what's going to come next and being able to anticipate. So once you pair up, like, a, a good scouting report, that's like real and not subjective um, with each hitter having a good understanding of, okay, this is what I hit well. This is what I don't hit well. Now we can start talking about, okay, how do we get this particular pitcher to get me get, to get, uh, sorry, how do I get this particular pitcher to throw the pitch that I want? So whether that means uh, I have to take a pitch and pretend like I'm somewhat dissatisfied with that take to get her then to go elsewhere. Cause she doesn't want to throw it there again. Or if that just means I have to, every single time she throws X pitch, I have to lay off. Like, I can't give in. Um, or if that just means locking in a location, wh- whatever that means is sort of a byproduct of the scouting report, uh, the uh, hitter's own understanding uh, of themselves. And, and then also, in this sort of intuitive sense where we're locked into the game and we have a feel for what's happened uh, past couple of bats, maybe have that pitch to my teammates and all that kind of stuff. So it's all just a big, big mess, honestly, but, um, seems to somewhat work. <laughs> does, does your, so I assume you throw a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the batting practices, your arm ever get so sore from yes, I did. So honestly, we, we, uh, my, uh, my boss Paige throws probably the best, uh, feel good BP. Um, in college softball, um, so so she has a rubber arm that just um, you know gets going, but um, she can just keep going. But I mean, to be honest, we mainly we do our, our drill work in in front sass, and then we go into either machines or we do live at bats. Um, like once a week, we do we get like seven or eight uh, live at bats, um, which is what I'm actually what we're doing today. Um, and we basically just like split them up and then we do like a little bit of like a staggered start so that there's like five hitters um, coming in groups at a time. Um, and they're each, each group is just facing one pitcher. So like, I don't you know, we'll even split up that group in half. So like one, one uh, part of the group goes on a cage and they do like a little competition piece off the machine. And then um, the other half goes on the field. Um, and then after 15 minutes, they flip up. So like you think like two, three hitters for 15 minutes. You're gonna get like three, four on a good day, like six at bats, depending on how how well it goes. Um, so um, again, it's just it's mainly front toss, like feel good, and then and then machine, lots of machine, lots of machine. Does your is your machine able to kind of like move the ball around a little bit, or is it just kind of just pretty much? 
Yeah, so we have uh, we have we have two uh, hag attacks uh, working on on a third one. Um, one of them is an e hack, so it, it's um, you can do like sequences on it and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of the a lot of the again a lot of the high variability stuff I want to do with a high intensity. So I don't think uh, we should be having a ton of volume because if you have a lot of volume off of uh, and in an intense environment, it's going to be toxic to the central nervous system i think that was one of the things i i uh overlooked a little bit last year i guess especially towards sort of like the 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 uh, middle part of the season where it's like okay now it's truly a grind i i think i hit them a little bit too hard with with intensity so i would much rather sort of uh crank down on the volume get like 10 to 15 quality swings against something challenging a day um and then something is not even like not nothing but but just the quality of the the work when it's really game-like is i think is is important and controlling the volume of of that game-like practice i think is also really important um and that's something i talk a lot about i think in terms of programming um if you look at volume intensity and density volume being how many reps per day Right. How many swings intensity being the, the effort or or the, the, the how challenging the, the task is. So you just think about it, like in terms of intensity, if you take max effort swings and front toss, you could probably do like sets of 10. Right? You probably do like sets of 10, you probably do like five. Some people would probably do just do it for a solid hour. But if you take max and max effort swings off of. 65 miles per hour in softball. Well, after your first round of 10, you're going to, you're going to be destroyed. Like just the, like I challenge anybody to try it. it and I, I'll jump in here and there and just, especially when we're like a smaller group and it, it really, really is taxing. So I think not just the, we just don't have to just account for the effort levels that the hitters are operating at, but also, um, how challenging the the stimulus is and how intense the stimulus is in terms of like the pitch coming in. And then the last thing is density, which is just like how many, how many breaks, how often are we actually working? Right. So if you think if you manage those, those, uh, uh, three, you can, you can really, uh, I think you can really make some, some changes and get, see some adaptation. Like for example, the, the first cycle, and I, I did a little post on Twitter about this, but, um, First cycle, like after our evaluation, the first the first thing I noticed was okay, like our attack angles are are pretty low. Like a team average was like three, four. Um, sorry, the remember. Um, and then the, so I was like, okay, so I think we need to hit them at high volume because I think that path is something you can kind of groove. So if you do, you can do lots of reps and then you make adjustments, rep to rep, rep to rep. We does, don't necessarily want a lot of breaks because we want the reps you want to be able to make adjustments between so we were doing like with weighted bats we're doing like 20 rep rounds um in each of our drills um so they would go like we have a blue bat which is like barrel loaded so they would start with that they would do five reps and then they would go to the red which is handle loaded and then they'll do five reps with that and then go to green and then do five reps with that which is end loaded and then go to their regular bat for five reps and just with the emphasis of really locking in on the bat path, not necessarily hitting the ball hard and far. Um, 
so they would do that um, for you know, two weeks. So that's like eight sessions um, and a total of about like on the, on the, the gray, a little bit more constrained day, they would do about like 80 total reps. So like three drills and then full swings. And then on the blue day, which is a little bit more heavy on the uh, in terms of like timing and adjustability, they would do uh, 60 reps. So over the course of two weeks, the team average, the team average attack angle increased by six, which wow. brought us up into like where I wanted them to be. Right. Um, but at the expense of a little bit of bat speed because we were practicing at a low intensity level. So, but I'm okay with that because I think you, you can, and I talk a lot about in terms of like the blast metrics about this. So like you, if you, you can lower your bat speed, but improve your swing plane and your exit below will increase. Now, uh, we're working on getting her up there, though. Um, so that's all just me watching them hit and observing. Um, ideally, I would actually have, like to have some actual facts behind my statements when I say these outrageous things. But, um, <laughs> but um, so then, okay, so now our attack angles are much better, right? So now, okay, what do we want to do this next time? Like, well, I want to contrast it. So low volume, low density, which means not nearly as many reps. We cut the reps in half and forced breaks every five, every five swings. So rather than going through all the bats and then a regular bat, they would, they now go through one bat and then they switch. The next person goes and then they go through one bat and then they switch. So there's only five reps automatically intensity is going to go up because you have, you're, you're fully recovered every round. I just have five swings. Um, and then, and we'll do on the, a little more on a gray day, a little more, um, a little more constrained day. We will, I was sort of like say, okay, the first round with the blue bat, which is very heavy, um, it's a seventy-first percent effort, seventy-five percent effort. So it's about again grooving that swing path, and then when you grab the green bat, it's like max effort. And then on the adjustability um, timing day, um, we go with the handle load, and then then contrast that with the end load. Um, well, both of those are going to be okay. Let it rip. Um, so again, just kind of like manipulating with uh, levels of intensity and volume and density. I think really can make a difference. And just you know, like just just I haven't um, we haven't evaled again um, fully yet. Um, I, I don't like to really look at it day to day. I want to look at it from like a, a at least a week's perspective. But um, I can just see through our competitions that like our bat speeds are going up you know just from practicing at high intent so yeah no i i really like the <clears throat> when you're talking about kind of how you're okay with the bat speed going down because you know that they're going to be they're on plane a little bit better because it really just comes down to efficiency right i mean we're just trying to barrel up balls in the game at the end of the day and so even even if our, the bat speed is down a little bit if that means we're barreling up more balls then perfect you know that's kind of what we that's what we want to do Exactly. So that's ultimately, obviously, the goal. So I, th I think one thing about that is like this swing plane is something that's a lot easier. The majority of the time, like speaking in sort of generalities, the swing plane is something that's a lot easier to manipulate and improve and change. Fast speed, on the other hand, um, I think you can run into some problems where you're trying to make these like rapid increases in fast speed that you can run into some severe like contact problems. Right. So I think the Again, if we're trying to help improve 
sort of the res- the results, or at least like expect the results, right? Because you can't. There's a lot of things that obviously you can't control. Then I think the swing plane should always sort of be the first thing that we address. Improve the swing plane, improve contact percentage, like whatever, like launch angle, flex velocity combination, whatever we think somewhat fit for that person. Um, let's improve that first before we try to hit the ball 10, 20 miles per hour harder. Now, I'm not saying that's not important because obviously it is, but I just think there's, you, you can prioritize a little bit um, to make sure that one, your players are like motivated because, you know, if we're, all right, let's go out and swing at 150% up a tee and just crank. And then they, they stop making contact. Well, they're like, they're going to immediately going to get turned off and not trust you. And then like, good luck now helping someone make, you know, make some adjustments in their swings. I think definitely like contact is important. Contact is very important. And uh, I think when you look at like, strikeout rates and like balls in play and like how hard balls are put in play across like division one softball. I think that's one thing that's uh, overlooked a little bit um, on, in like the, the, uh, the modern hitting community is all about like home runs or the expense of strikeouts. But um, I don't think necessarily um, like that the, the cost of all like a severe increase in strikeouts is, is um, it's worth it. Do you guys practice this like doing the slap at all? Yeah, so we have a, we have a couple slappers. Yeah, so again, like a slapper, it's like okay, swing plane is even more important, right? Because like you don't necessarily need all that bat speed. Honestly, you probably need less of it because it's it's about making making contact and being accurate. So yeah, we have a, we have a couple of them. One of one of them is transitioning into to hitting. Um, I'm excited. Um, seems like her her plate discipline is definitely improved and um made a made a couple couple changes to just like her load and whatnot so um she's from la so we're like going bellinger style with it just just a result of some drill work like hey you know bellinger she's like yes i love him and <laughs> i was like why don't you try to swing like him and just like look at video and she seemed to have like an aha moment just just through that so Last thing I kind of wanted to I uh, wanted to ask you about um is recruiting. Now in baseball it's you know it's unbelievably insane how big uh recruiting has with all these different events and travel and this and that. What's it like in softball? Uh it's definitely a grind. That's for sure. Um lots and lots and lots of hours on the field. Um, from my perspective I think uh, I don't want I mean, I, I'm new in it, so I'm not speaking from experience whatsoever. But um, I think what, what what I wanted to improve on was sort of, okay, let's be more efficient with our time um, and really, really know what type of player fits into our program, what type of person fits into our program, um, and and then know, okay, what helps win ballgames, right? So, like, what has the most value and what is the – is a little bit of, like, that money ball – mentality of okay well like what's the most overlooked skill right now that we can uh look for um and and i think defense defense especially like up the middle is that right now in, in softball i think we're i think a lot of us are like including honestly myself and it, we're, we're willing to sort of like look over mediocre defense for a little bit of an improvement in offense but i think a really good 
really, really high quality defender can uh, make up for for it with her with her gloves. Um, so you look at like defensive efficiency and all that kind of stuff. Like we we didn't we haven't really fared incredibly incredibly well. So that's something that that we're working on and trying to adjust. Obviously in, in play development, but also in recruiting as well. Because um, it's I the way I look at it is like okay, so yeah, you have your pitching staff. And you look at, like, how many, like, you always look at, like, earn runs, like, run average, FIB, and all that kind of stuff in terms of the pitchers. But you hardly ever look at, okay, well, what sort of influence does the defense have um, in this puzzle? Um, and I think it's almost a one-to-one. Like, if you have a very good quality defense behind, uh, um, uh, like, what? mediocre pitcher like it could really turn her into uh, um, a stud <laughs> so yeah anyways, that's, that's a great that's point some, that's a great point. somewhat my uh, my perspective as it stands right now i'm probably wrong but um no one has proved me wrong yet so just waiting are for there that to other showcases yeah like lots and lots of them um so in the fall it's much lighter especially like when out here in the northeast where um uh, we uh, can't go as late into the fall in terms of our practices. So we miss a, a couple weekends. Um, in the fall, in softball, you're only allowed uh, to recruit as a Division One school. You're only allowed to recruit on uh, Saturdays and Sundays for like a select few dates. Like the last one is like the weekend before uh, Thanksgiving. Um, so we really, we go out the last three, four weekends um, because we want to make sure we spend adequate time with our team when they're on campus. And then we go hard at it in the summer instead and really try to time it up well so that we, we see the, the the recruits that we need to see at the right time as well. Because I think you can – I also do think you can watch someone very too many times, you know, and um, that's something that I think happens a little bit here and there in softball. But, you know, who am I to speak, honestly? <laughs> Awesome. Daniel, you've been uh, fantastic, man. I really appreciate you coming on. And um, I know of you're going to be speaking up, speaking at Slugfest in Fort Lauderdale in November. Um, yes. So, again, if anyone out there listening is um, on the fence about going, like, make sure to go down there and uh, check, you know, go go listen to Daniel and all the other awesome speakers down there. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm, ex- I'm, I'm excited to see what everyone else has to say. It's going to be cool. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks, man. Appreciate it, Patrick.